this past week I spoke to a friend and former neighbor of mine and he said, you're not going to believe where I just came from. I said, where? He said, from the house. And you're not going to believe what it looks like. Now, to give you a little context, uh, this friend has been renting his house out for the last couple years or so, hoping that the housing market would rebound before putting his house up on the market. And then he proceeded to tell me about how bad the hardwood floors looked and how bad the walls looked and the yard looked and how much money it was going to take to to fix those things before putting it on the market next month. And chances are that many of you here today can identify with that because you have contemplated at some point or another, a number of you, uh, whether or not it would be a wise move to rent out a piece of property, be it a house, an apartment, a condo, a piece of land, uh, to some tenants. and Many of us, Probably most of us adults here today have uh, both rented property and purchased some property at some point in our lives. And uh, the truth is that nearly all of us don't treat someone else's property as good as we treat our own property. The relationship between a landlord and a tenant is a delicate one that requires patience and wisdom and perceptivity and oftentimes firmness. And for these reasons, many landlords hire managers to serve as go-betweens on their behalf with tenants or renters. Well, from God's Word today, in Scripture today, we look at a story of a landlord renting out his property to some tenants. And in this particular story, the the tenants were unruly renters, not treating the property or the landlord as he deserved, who just so happened to also be God. How would you treat your landlord if your landlord was God? I'm going to invite you to look with me at God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 21 as we continue our message series on the divine storyteller, looking at stories, parables that Jesus told to communicate spiritual truth to his listeners. Just so you know, this is, we're nearing the end of this series. We'll conclude this series at the end of the month. We'll look at a parable today and two more parables in the the following Sundays. Uh, But beginning with this parable, uh, the final three that we'll look at were taught by Jesus, told by Jesus. We believe during Holy Week, during Passion Week, leading up to the arrest and trial and crucifixion of Jesus in our place, on our behalf. So Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. We'll pause right there for just a couple moments. But we know from our time looking at stories Jesus told, parables that Jesus told, 
it takes careful uh, um, focus, careful attention on the details of the story within the context of Scripture, within the context of all of Scripture, uh, to know just exactly what Jesus was communicating oftentimes. On occasion, a couple times, Jesus told us uh, the meaning of the parables, but many times, in fact, most of the time, we're not so fortunate. But as we pay a careful attention to the context, we can understand what Jesus was communicating. And in the Old Testament, a vineyard was often uh, a name or an image given for God's people, Israel. And the truth is, anytime we study Scripture, we want to understand that that particular passage of Scripture within the context of Scripture, even the Old Testament context of Scripture. Jesus told this story that would bring back certain uh, thoughts and certain elements and uh, certain details in the minds of His Jewish listeners who would know the context of Scripture. So in Isaiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we read this, words of the Lord, I will sing... For the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem... And people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Now in this parable that Jesus told his listeners in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33, the vineyard like it was in Isaiah, is representative of Israel. Representative of the people of God, the people that God had called to be His people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the landowner is God. The landowner is God. The landowner had put a wall around this vineyard to protect it and to preserve it. He'd dug a wine press in it so that it would have easy access to harvest the fruit. And he built a watchtower to look over it, to watch out for danger and to protect it from harm. And then we, we read that he rented it to some farmers. And the farmers in this parable are representative of the Jewish religious leaders in the Old Testament, the priests and the scribes whose task it was to facilitate proper worship of and obedience to God And we're told that the landowner sends some servants, some messengers, back to the vineyard in order to collect the harvest, to collect some of the fruit for the landowner. And these messengers of God are representative of the prophets, whose job it was to go and to communicate the word of God to the people of God. And 
to challenge them and to rebuke them where wrong. To take the message of the Lord to the people. So we see a picture here of God creating and caring for and watching over and instructing His people. And that's what what the God of Scripture does. God creates and cares for, He watches over and He instructs His people. In short, He had set everything up for them to experience success, to experience positive results as His people. Fruit of their labor. And yet Jesus tells us in the following verses how they responded. Verse 35. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. On first reading of that, no doubt, in the minds of Jesus' first listeners, as they heard that, It must have been appalled by the behavior of the renters. Appalled by the behavior of the tenants to to treat the, the landowner and his servants and ultimately his son with such disrespect and brutality. How could they act this way? How could they treat their landowner this way? And they could because they were blinded by their own sin. They were blinded by their pride, which kept them from heeding the warnings of the messengers of God, of the servants of God, as the prophets took the word of the Lord to them, especially the the priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel in those days, as they were corrected, as they were rebuked, as they were challenged. They became angry, they became upset, and they were consumed with their own pride, and pride does that. Pride results in failure to receive the representatives of God. Pride results in failure to receive the representatives of God. And as already stated, the representatives of God so far in this parable, the servants who went to collect the harvest represent the prophets who took the word of God to the people of God. They were often treated with abuse. They were often treated with hatred. They were often even killed because the message they were taking to the people of God was not a message oftentimes of comfort for the people of God. It was a message of rebuke. It was a message of repent. We see such an example in Jeremiah chapter 19 when Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, returned from Topheth where the Lord had sent him to prophesy and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen 
to my word. So an example of a prophet, Jeremiah, going to deliver a message from the Lord to the people of God, saying, I'm going to bring disaster on these people because of their lack of obedience, because they would not listen to my words. And chapter 20 of that same chapter, listen to the response. When the priest Pasher, son of Emmer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The truth is, Pride often blinds us from hearing the word of of the Lord. And the proud reject the prophets. The proud reject the prophets. And by doing so, they are rejecting and have rejected the word of the Lord. The word that God has sent to his people through his messengers. After all, that's what the prophets were doing. Delivering the word of God. Delivering the message of the Lord. And those that are filled with pride today do the same thing as we reject the word of the Lord, as we reject the teachings of Scripture that convey the lifestyle that's appropriate for people of God that desire to be faithful and obedient to God. And in this particular parable, in this particular story, they went even further than that, as if rejecting the servants of the landowner was not bad enough. They went on to... Reject the son of the landlord. Rejecting the son of the landlord represented the family of the landlord. and In this case was the greatest offense because the son in this parable is the son of God. And so what's being communicated through the story, Jesus is indirectly rebuking his listeners, saying, you have rejected the messengers of the Lord, but even greater than that, you have rejected the Son of God, the one who was the ultimate and final and greatest representative of God, the one to which all the ones that went before only pointed. And so the the proud reject the prophets, and the proud also refuse the Son of God. And to refuse the Son of God is to refuse God because He is the fullness of God. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the right to the book of Hebrews. The letter written to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. And hold your place in Matthew because we'll go back to Matthew. But Hebrews chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. To reject the Son of God, the greatest representative of God, the fullness of God in human flesh, is to reject God. We know from Scripture, we learn from Scripture, we read from Scripture that 
God opposes the proud. He gives favor to the humble. Out of pride, people reject representatives of God, the Word of God, ultimately the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. But the humble rightly acknowledge the Word of God and rightly respond to the Son of God because of the position of the Son of God. And the ones that Jesus was speaking to, the Jews, and particularly the Jewish religious leaders, knew that God was opposed to arrogance. They knew that God hated pride, which is evidenced by their very response to the question that Jesus that follows in verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Those tenants that rejected the prophets and those tenants that Refuse the son. And they, their response, verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you And given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. We learn from God's word here that God's kingdom will be taken from the proud and he will produce a new people. God's kingdom will be taken from the proud and he will produce a new people. Because the the people that God had first called to be his people and to have a, a special covenant relationship with him, generally speaking, had failed to receive the word of the Lord and failed ultimately to receive the the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, Jesus Christ. God created a new people composed of both Jews and Gentiles who rightly responded to Jesus. Because before that, the Jewish religious leaders and under their leadership and guidance, the majority of Jews have failed to recognize the centrality of Jesus. It failed to see the importance of Jesus as the cornerstone, the most important stone in the building of God's plan, the most important piece in God's plan of salvation history. And because they generally speaking, had failed to see it. God promised through His Word that He would create a new people. We read Peter's words to the church. Churches comprised of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, talking about the church, talking about the people of God who have rightly responded to, to Christ, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have repented of your sin and turned to Christ, trusting in the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, as Lord of your life and Lord of God's kingdom, the only one that can save you, then then you are a new people. According to God's word, then you are part of a new nation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. And as such, according to the words of Jesus, you will bear fruit. Unlike those that, that don't rightly respond to the Son of God, those that rightly respond in faith to the Savior will produce fruit. God's true people will produce fruit. Verse 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. Jesus told his followers, A new command I give you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Fruit, outward fruit, inward faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, we see a clear picture, a contrast between those that are not the true people of God and those that are. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, the acts of the flesh or of the sin nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the one who takes up residence in those that trust in Christ for salvation. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. God's true people will produce fruit. And lastly, all in God's kingdom will recognize the centrality of Jesus. All in God's kingdom will recognize the centrality of Jesus. The ones that Jesus was speaking to in that day, Jews, they, they knew the Scriptures. They were aware of the Scriptures, but they did not fully understand nor obey the Scriptures because if they had, they wouldn't have missed the prophecies about Jesus. They would have recognized that Messiah was coming and the Messiah would take away the sins of the world. They would have recognized when the Messiah showed up on the scenes and Jesus showed up on the scenes and began teaching and healing and living a life free of sin and ultimately giving His life in our place for our sins. They would have recognized that He was the ultimate revelation of God's plan. He was the central character in God's plan of redemption. And Jesus, at this 
time that he's speaking these parables, he knew that about himself. He knew his place in God's kingdom, which is why he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Expanding on their understanding of the Passover and teaching through it that those who've trusted in Jesus and his sacrifice in our place on the cross would be passed over on the day of judgment because they were declared innocent through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles just a couple pages to the right to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. So it's two or three days later in the ministry and life of Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. And invite our deacons to come as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. And we believe that we observe the Lord's Supper on a regular basis as a way of remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. The price that Jesus paid for us on the cross, that he gave his life for us in our place. So we do this as a way of commemorating that reality, of memorializing that reality. Well, from the the words and the teachings of Jesus today, we have seen that the God of Scripture creates, cares for, and redeems a people who recognize the supremacy of Christ and bear fruit as disciples of Jesus. The God of Scripture creates, cares for, and redeems a people who recognize the supremacy of Jesus and bear fruit as disciples of Jesus. Don't misunderstand Jesus today. Don't miss the grace of God as displayed in Christ today. Just three ways that we can begin to to apply this truth to our lives. Firstly, let's acknowledge the centrality of Jesus. Acknowledge the centrality of Jesus. Jesus is the central character of God's plan of redemption. The Bible is about Jesus. 
And if we miss that, we've missed the gospel. If we miss that, we've missed the purpose of Scripture pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is God's agent for salvation. Acknowledge the centrality of Jesus. Secondly, acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus. Acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus. Jesus knew the outcome of his life. He knew where things were going, as evidenced by this parable that he taught right here. He predicted that Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, Pilate, the Roman governor, as well as the crowds, he, he predicted that they would betray him and crucify him and kill him. We read at the end of this parable that the Pharisees and other leaders were were scared to arrest Jesus at this point because they knew that the crowds believed that he was a prophet. But Jesus is much more than a prophet. He is the supreme one. He is God in the flesh. He is the sovereign one who rules and reigns with God the Father in the kingdom of God. Acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus and finally acknowledge the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Acknowledge the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was unjustly condemned by those in his day. But don't miss it. This was part of God's plan. God planned to do this through the Messiah before the foundation of the world so that you and I could could be right in the eyes of God. That is the way that we're forgiven. That is the way that we are saved. That is the way that we experience reconciliation and restoration with our Father in heaven through the bloodshed of Christ and our faithful response to Christ. So acknowledge the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus because there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Acknowledge the centrality of Jesus and the sovereignty of Jesus and the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The God of Scripture creates, cares for, and redeems a people who recognize the supremacy of Jesus and bear fruit as disciples of Jesus. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name and to look at your word and to lift words to you, to praise you through song and through prayer and through confession and through observance of your supper. And Lord, we do pray that you've been glorified in us this morning. We pray that you'd continue to lead us, draw us to yourself, that we might be found faithful as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.